All right, we're in this series on rest. We're talking about rest, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, the first 10 verses there. And I want to start with a a little something that happened to a man named G.K. Chesterton. He's one of my favorites to kind of quote from. He was a writer, journalist, a philosopher, really, in the first part of the 20th century. And Chesterton was once asked to contribute uh, to a column in a newspaper. Newspapers are news things that were printed on paper and brought to your house, or you could buy them on a street corner. Uh, now we get our news from the internet. But um, he, was at, he was asked by a newspaper to answer the question, write and answer the question, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? And Chesterton responded simply by, by saying this, I am. I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. Now listen, that kind of taking personal responsibility for something seems to me that's so rare today. Most of us, if someone came to us and said, hey, how about you write something on what's wrong with the world? We would relish the opportunity to answer that question, to say, this is what's wrong with the world. This is what's wrong with the church. This is what's wrong with my small group. This is what's wrong with my family. This is what's wrong with our country. This is what's wrong with our city. We'd be only too ready to share our thoughts and our opinions on all of that. And in fact, many of us do. Even when not asked, we're very free with our opinions on social media. But what if we as Christ followers really got down to believing what the Word of God says about humanity, about who we are as human beings, about about depravity, about our own weakness, about how very broken this world is? And what if we wrote about that instead? What if we got to the place of really saying, believing and saying, I'm what's wrong here. I'm what's wrong here. Now that setup could be a setup for a lot of different messages, a lot of different topics. It could apply to a lot of different things, but let's narrow it down to this matter of rest that we're talking about. Could it be that we're out of gas, we're tired, We're overwhelmed. So many of you coming to me saying, this series is so timely. This is hitting me right where I'm at right now. I need to hear this. But could it be that we feel that way because of not the circumstances in our life, not the season of life that we're in, not because other people's demands on me. Could it be we're there just simply because of our own choices? We're tired because of what we've decided for ourselves. It's not circumstances. It's not lack of time to get everything done. Those aren't the things that are overwhelming us, but it's our attitudes and our choices in the midst of it all. Again, for the followers of Christ, God made a promise to us to give us his rest. It's so clear in the scriptures and it's stated repeatedly and in every part of the scriptures, but it remains a personal choice for each one of us to receive that rest or not. In fact, what we'll see in the passage is that the rest of God comes when I practice certain disciplines in my life. 
Now, a discipline, I use that word, and we, we, have some, we, we attach such negative connotations to the word discipline, but a good definition of discipline is this, because it's a very positive word. It's a virtue which consists in mastery of the appetites and passions. It's a virtue which consists in the mastery of appetites and passions, especially the sensual ones. And it's the sensual ones that we give into that are causing us to be so tired. And so we must have this virtue of a disciplined life. That's what we're going after this morning. We must have this virtue of a disciplined life if we're going to find rest. And so, uh, once again, you can see just a light summer topic as we kind of work through things here. And so, let's turn to the scriptures, Hebrews 4, 1 to 10. I'm going to read this, and then we'll start working through this idea that the rest of God comes when I practice certain disciplines. So, this is Hebrews 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly uh, received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. All right, let's look at this. The rest of God comes when I practice four disciplines. The first of those is the discipline of reaching for, the discipline of reaching for. Now, you will notice that all four of these points end in a preposition. And if you know the English language, you know that you should never end a sentence on a preposition. But Pastor Dan is in Africa right now. And so we don't have our resident grammar cop around. So I'm ending all of these points with a preposition. And this is to make the point, the discipline of reaching for. I'm reaching for something that I don't yet have. I'm not reaching for something. If I am not reaching for something better, rather, but instead settling for what is, then what is is what I'm going to get. And for all of us, listen, God wants more. He wants to unleash more blessing, more abundance in our lives. Many of us don't reach out to take it. It takes discipline, in fact, to reach for more or better in our lives, and most people settle for far less. The preacher says in verse 1 here that not everyone has received the promise. Not everyone has received the promise of entering his rest. Some, he says, notice, have failed. They've failed to reach it. Now, when you look at Hebrews 4, it's not hard to miss uh, that, that this is about salvation. This is about our eternal destiny. This is about getting our sins forgiven and having a relationship with Jesus Christ and making sure we're set for heaven. 
That's the broad sweep of what's going on here. But we also understand if we get our salvation right, that this relates to this life now. So it isn't just about what's to come in eternity, but there is a process going on to make me more and more like Jesus along the way. In other words, the gospel doesn't just save me in the internal, eternal sense of that, but the gospel is transforming me. And so in the sense that there is an eternal rest that I'm going after, I ought to be experiencing that rest more and more the longer I live on this earth and the longer I follow Jesus. I should be more and more in that place of experiencing and enjoying the rest of God. I need to be reaching for that. And so this word rest, in fact, in the whole passage that we looked at, it's eight, we see it eight times Translated into the English are two different Greek words, the original language of the New Testament, both of them heading in the very same direction on this, that it is the cessation of battling an enemy. It's a warfare word. Well, it's the end of warfare. And for us, in terms of our salvation and eternity, of course, we know that Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. He conquered sin and death. He applies that to our lives, those of us who exercise faith in him and believe. And, and, and we get the cessation of warfare. The battle over sin and death is done. You know, we still continue to live on this life, working on our salvation with fear and trembling. And so we're still in the process of seeing that battle cease. In verse 8, in fact, and we'll look at this a little bit later, Joshua and Israel, for them, this rest was literally, in a very real physical sense, the cessation of battling an enemy. They were trying to take the promised land, and this was the end of it. That's what the rest was. For us, though, it is that more spiritual application. It's the rest of God, which takes us into the presence of God, where the spiritual striving, the spiritual battle is over and the victory is won through the work of Christ. And at a base level, when we start to think about why we're tired, why we're overwhelmed, why fatigue grips us, at a base level, our weariness is the result of sin in this world that still greatly affects everything around us. And our need for rest stems from this ongoing battle. And the the war, if you could put it this way, is being fought on three different fronts. It's being uh, fought on the front of the devil and the evil one and his demons, and there is a spirit world at play. But the devil is just one spirit being, and, and his demons, however many there are, are finite in number. And none of us should presume that we're special enough to warrant the attention of an actual demon, and certainly not of Satan himself. But that is a battle, and some do fight it, and we would be naive not to see that there is spiritual warfare at play in that very specific way. The second front in the battle, though, is this world system, and the devil is smart enough to set up a whole world system that leads us toward evil. He doesn't even need to really be present in our lives. He just needs us to give in to what the world is all about. And that's the second of the fronts that we fight. But to be perfectly honest and straight with you, we have less trouble with those two battlefields than we do with the third. The third one is exactly what Chesterton was talking about in the introduction. The third battlefield is my flesh. 
And in a very real sense, I fight myself, I fight my flesh to really enjoy the rest that God has provided and promised to me. I am what's wrong with the world. I am what's wrong with my life. I am, in a very real sense, my own worst enemy. And that's the real battle that's being fought, that we have to believe him and we have to reach for something better, reach for the victory that Jesus Christ has provided for us on the cross. So the way to receive this promise is to enter into relationship with the one who made the promise. And if you haven't made uh, that uh, pledge to Christ to follow him, if you haven't received the promises, that's the first step. Give your life to Jesus Christ. Commit to following him. Find the forgiveness of sins and enter into his rest. See, that's the only thing I have to offer. The only thing I have to offer here today as the antidote to fatigue and weariness, the fact that you're overwhelmed and beaten down, the only thing I have to offer you is Jesus. That's all. And if you fail to hear that the gospel is the solution to your fatigue and to being overwhelmed with life, then I can't help you. It has to start with your recognition that you need Jesus Christ, that you need to be saved by him. And then, having made that decision and surrendered your life to him, the gospel infiltrates every aspect, every corner of your life. And he transforms us bit by bit into the image of Jesus, who said to us, and we looked at this in last week's message from Matthew 11, he said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And when you embrace Jesus Christ, he comes and carries those burdens with you. And the great thing about Jesus is he's never overwhelmed by life. Jesus is not overwhelmed by his life. He's not overwhelmed by your life. He's not overwhelmed by the sum total of all the people in the room here who, who have all kinds of burdens and are feeling so tired. And Jesus is not overwhelmed by that. Jesus is not wondering when he's going to be able to get off the roller coaster. He's, he's, his soul is not crushed by the weight of life. And the great news is that Jesus Christ is not, the, great, the good news of Jesus Christ is, is not simply that your eternal salvation is set, but that, listen, the gospel is that there's a better way to live now. And what Jesus calls in John 10, 10, life abundantly or life to the full. We need to practice the discipline of reaching for it. And then this second one, the discipline of listening to. And we all have a need for rest. We all have um, an internal desire for rest. We have our bodies, in fact, if we push too hard, there is a point at which our physical bodies will shut down knowing that we need this rest and compel it upon us. Uh, Canadians, like uh, most people in the world, are in a pretty rough spot. Uh, this is uh, from a uh, poll a few years ago. Canadians are not getting enough sleep, according to a poll commissioned by CBC News, that suggests a, letter, a, le a level of sleep deprivation that could lead uh, to side effects that are more serious than grouchiness. 
Grouchiness is pretty common. I could ask you if, uh, if you came to church grouchy today because of a lack of sleep, but it might be better to ask, did anybody come to church today with a grouchy? No, let's not ask that, actually. Um, the exclusive poll was conducted for CBC by Leger Marketing, found that six out of 10 Canadians, let's just say six out of 10 people in the room here, get about one hour less than the six to eight hours of sleep that experts say most adults need in order to wake and feeling afresh, refreshed and to perform optimally uh, throughout the day. So 60% so of us are getting an hour less of sleep than, than we actually need. 58%, uh, again, six and 10, uh, say that they often feel tired, which is a sign of the country's sleep deficit. The survey found that even something as necessary as a good night's sleep was elusive, saying, uh, 36% uh, said this, uh, time and stress hampered their night's rest. Response included, 36%, I don't have enough time to sleep as much as I'd like. Okay, got stuff to do at night, I got to get up early in the morning, I'm not getting enough, I just don't even have the time. 36% of people said this. 27% uh, said, I have too many things on my mind so I can't relax. That was me last night. So I, you know, I go to bed and I know, I, Saturday nights, I got to get a good night's rest. It's a big day ahead, I, I got to preach twice, There's, you know, so I got to get a good night's rest. And so I go to bed and I say to Cheryl, I just have a feeling I'm not going to sleep well tonight which turns out to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> so, so then I'm like all night, all night, I wake up multiple times in the night thinking about the church. It's all church stuff, not family stuff, not personal stuff, nothing. I'm just thinking about the church. I'm thinking about, am I going to preach okay? Is anybody going to come to church? If, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking about the fall launch. I'm thinking about all kinds of things. It's just all, it's not even logical. It's just all ro rolling through my mind. And you know when you can't shut off your brain and so you can't go to sleep? And that's exactly what's happening last night. So that's me. I have too many things on my mind. I can't relax. I'm in the 27%, at least last night. Uh, this one, 32%, I wake up and can't get back to sleep. I mean, how often does that happen to us? 32% of people would say that. Now, listen, th that's all very interesting, and, and, and it's, it's helpful to kind of know that you're not the only one struggling with that and where you land in the percentages uh, with regard to sleep and being tired and all of this, but I'm a lot less concerned about whether or not you got a good night's sleep last night or this week or whether you got a couple of days off or whether your vacation was any good at, at, at all. Um, those are all important things, and I don't want to demean that, and it is part of the rhythms of our life, and we need that kind of stuff, but my greatest concern concern is that, that we have this lifelong striving to be at rest in our souls. The physical thing's important and it's related to it, but am I at rest in my soul? And, and, and I need to be in that place even in the midst of the busyness, even when I can't shut my brain off, even when I have a lot on, even when I'm not getting enough sleep, even when the pressures of life are all kind of crashing in on me. And for the most part, that doesn't change throughout an entire lifetime, by the way. That is our lot in life as human beings. But can I be at soul rest in the midst of all of that? Are we actually listening to what God says about rest? We need to have this discipline of listening to God. Now note that verse 2 now, 
the good news, the gospel, was preached to all, but there's a contrast in verses 2 and 3 between those who heard it and those who, who listened to it. So there were those who heard, verse 2, but did not benefit from the message, therefore did not get any rest. We see that play out in the passage. And then in verse 2 also, those who listened and received the benefit because they believed, and we're going to talk about the discipline of believing next, and therefore they were able to enter that rest. So listen, there is a difference between hearing and listening. In fact, every parent knows this, correct? As you're raising your kids, you know that your kids can hear things, but they don't necessarily listen. And if the parenting analogy doesn't work for you, every wife knows this. <laughs> I mean, there have been just so many times, and Cheryl and, uh, and I have been married 20, almost 29 years, and, and there have just been so many times where she's saying things to me, and, and so I'm hearing it in the sense that the peanut characters heard what their teacher was saying. Okay, so she's talking, I'm aware that something is being said, but there's no listening. There's no listening to what's being said. And, and, and listen, if you're just hearing and not applying, not believing, not living out, then there's no benefit. And every child understands that and every husband should. If we want to enter the rest that God has for us, we need to not just hear, but we need to listen. And great example of this in Luke's gospel, chapter 16. You'll remember this story from several months ago. And the rich man and Lazarus um, both lived their earthly lives. The rich man obviously living in comfort and having everything at his disposal. And, um, and, and Lazarus, who was a, a poor man and, and quite afflicted in his earthly life, both of them, the Bible tells us, both of them heard Moses and the prophets. In other words, they heard the Bible preached. Both of them heard it. Lazarus listened to what he heard, had a genuine faith in God, and at his death was transported into the presence of God to be comforted forever, to get his eternal rest after a lifetime of striving and finding no rest. The rich man who had rest and leisure and wealth and everything he could ever want in this life died, and he was transported to eternal punishment flames of torment. And there was a chasm fixed between heaven and hell, and he could look into heaven and see how Lazarus was being comforted in the presence of God. And he had no comfort and no rest. And Jesus tells us in Luke 16 that the only difference between the rich man and Lazarus, both heard, but only Lazarus listened. The point is that there's no rest for those who don't practice the discipline of listening. And all of this leads us to the one key point. What is the thing I need to hear? What do I need to listen to? What's the, what's the driving principle behind all of that? In verse 4, the preacher shares that God rested on the seventh day. This is all rooted in the creation. And so what we're really looking at here is the principle of the Sabbath. This is what each of us needs to listen to, the principle of the Sabbath. 
It's rooted in the creation. It's part of our DNA. We're hardwired as human beings to need, and this is the point that we need to hear, to need a one in seven rest. That we need to change it up. We, we need to set apart some time in our week, one in seven, to take a break, to pause, to find the rest that God intends for us. And the reality is most of us are just, we're just running through that stoplight, even though the principle is so clear. One in seven rest doesn't need to happen on the seventh day anymore. Doesn't need to happen on Sundays. But the principle of rest, are you pausing one in seven? Now, this was easier when I was a kid, by the way. Up until the 80s, this was, this was easier for us as Canadians because the federal government literally had a law. This will be new to some of the younger people in the room. But the federal government literally had a law called the Lord's Day Act. How many people remember the Lord's Day Act? And the Lord's Day Act made it illegal to open stores on Sundays. And the only people that ever worked on Sundays were uh, first responders, essential services. You might find a corner store was open, but there were no grocery stores open. There were no malls that were open. There were no factories that were running. People didn't work on Sundays. You were forced into changing it up and resting because that's all you could really do. Now, listen. Loved ones, if you truly are the followers of Jesus Christ, do you need the government to help you obey him? Do you? We don't need the government to help us with our obedience, with our holiness. There's no law anymore, and Sunday increasingly looks like every other day of the week, and many of you can only make it here at certain services because you have to work on Sundays, and I get that, and that's the culture we live in, but that doesn't let us off the hook in terms of following the principle of the Sabbath. We still have to obey him in that and change it up one in seven. I mean, we're tired and burned out because we're not respecting the rhythms that God has established for us as human beings. We're working in our own strength and we're finding that our inner resources are limited, that we run out of gas along the way, but then we don't stop to fill up again. It doesn't have to be that way. We need to listen to what God is saying, the principle of the Sabbath. And for some here, it's going to mean some changes. You're going to have to make, and, and some of these are small changes or adjustments. Others a little bit more major. But we have to, we have to cut off the things that are wearing us down and stop for one part of the week. I mean, I, I wonder how many, for how many of us, the thing that's exhausting us more than anything else are our smartphones. They are relentless with text messages and social media and email coming at us and notifications of all kinds of things that are happening in our world. How many of us have that little red dot beside our inbox and it has like 150 unread messages? And we don't ever shut it off. We set it beside our bed and it's the last thing we look at at night. And we wake up in the morning. It's the first thing we look at in the morning. 
And it's this constant input of information, and it's exhausting us right out of the gate. Listen, I'm not saying don't do that. If you have to in your job or you want to do that, do it. Listen, for six days of the week, or at least take a portion of the seventh day and say, you know what? I'm shutting my phone right off. I mean, what's reasonable? I don't want to be crazy here. <laughs> Could I shut it off for six hours? I mean, some of you would start twitching, <laughs> which betrays the problem. I think that's the number one reason we're all so tired. This is, fatigue isn't just a physical thing. It's the, it's the mental and emotional cost. So could we do that? One in seven, could we take a break? Even on that seventh day, just a portion of that day to shut off our phones and to not look at social media. So, some here... Um, the reality is you need to change jobs or, or you need to cancel a trip or a project or you need to alter your budget to, to put less pressure on yourself. Some parents here, you just need to do less things with your kids, less sports, less activities. You're wearing your kids out and you're wearing yourselves out and your family has no time to actually ever be together. What are you going to do to change it up? The discipline of listening to what God is actually saying about the Sabbath, a one in seven rest. Now he's um, looking at this, verse four, God rests on the seventh day. He made the promise that those who reject what he's offering, which is the gospel, will not enter his rest. That's what we need to hear. And all of this, James 1.22 just comes to mind. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. The discipline of listening to. Then a third discipline. Ready for the third one? Ready for the third one? Ready for the third one? Okay, here we go. And we've touched on this already in verse 3. We who have believed entered that rest. This is the discipline of believing. In verse uh, 6, the preacher challenges their disobedience and notes the consequence that they failed to enter his rest. Then he quotes Psalm 95. If you're carrying an ESV version, that's indented there because it's a quote. He quotes 95, Psalm 95, appealing to his listeners. Verse 7, do not harden your hearts. Okay, again, I can, I can hear something. I could even be listening to it for understanding. But then if I don't allow that to translate into my will being conformed to the will of God, in other words, I'm hardening, hardening my heart toward that, then that's a problem. And what he's exposing here is the willful decision to reject God's way. It's human stubbornness on display. It's a rebellious heart, a refusal to admit what God is saying and to submit to it. It's maddening because the offer of rest is free. One of the dangers of using this outline and talking about disciplines is that we could get the notion that we're talking about earning something and working toward it. And it's not that at all. This is a free gift from God. He promises this to us as a gift from him. And he's offering us first the truth about all of this to bring clarity to our lives. But we continue to believe lies that, that the world tells us. And, and again, these are the things that are wearing us out. Here's, here's three lies that the world tells us, and uh, there could be a lot more. There probably are a lot more. But the first one is this, work hard and retire young. 
work hard and, and retire young. And it, it's almost as if we feel like we're not really living until we retire. And you hear all the advertising for all the different investment firms, and this is the goal. It's about retiring. As if everything else up to the point of retirement is inferior. And it's not. Now, working hard is very good. Yes, for sure, work hard. God wants us to do that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But work hard. But the retire young thing and aiming for retirement as if that's the big goal. See, the problem behind that actually is presumption. It's assuming that you're going to get to retire. But God doesn't guarantee that to anyone. That's nowhere in the scriptures whatsoever. The presumption is the thing that's offensive to God. And I thought about uh, James chapter 4, 13 through 17, a great passage. What is your life? It's a mist that appears for a short time and then vanishes away. You know, we're making all these plans to retire, to go here, to buy that, to do this, to have these things. And what James says in, in chapter 4 is, you know, you, you ought to say instead, if the Lord wills, we're going to do this. If the Lord wills. But no presumption that that's really what's going to come our way. Here's another one. Um, lie number two, live for the weekend. Live for the weekend. I think weekends are awesome because we get to get together here, right? So that's awesome. I'm going to live for the weekend in the sense that I get to be with God's people. I actually work weekends, so I live for Mondays, okay? Because that's, that's like actually my day off. And, and, but I realize that's not everybody's gig. But, but, but live for the weekend. It's like, it's like Monday to Friday's the worst, right? The mamas and the papas, Monday, Monday. I mean, this song couldn't be more depressing, Wednesday is hump day. You know, I mean, it's, it's hump day because we got to get, just get over it. And then we get to Friday and it's TGIF. And, and, and why is that? Because we get to go into the weekend. There are no songs about Tuesday and Thursday. <laughs> Nobody talks about them. And, and yet all five of these days ought to be, we, we treat them as if they're second rate to the weekend. Yet every aspect of our lives should be lived to the full. Colossians 3.17, the Apostle Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you do, can I add, on any day of the week, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you, God, for Monday. Thank you for hump day. Thank you for Friday. Thank you even for Tuesday and Thursday. And yes, thank you for the weekend. Living for the glory of God every single day of the week. I don't live for the weekend. We live for the glory of God every day of the week. Line number three, you deserve this. What you deserve is not rest. You don't deserve this. I don't deserve it. None of us do. In fact, Ephesians 2, 8, by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's grace. It's a gift. But these are the things we tend to believe rather than believing the word of God. And mostly we believe these things because they, they sell us 
They sell us a package of goods about this life and we just get so focused on this life here and now. Our comfort first, not what's to come. And God wants to point us beyond this life to the glories of receiving the full effects of the gospel and then seeing that spill back over to transform our lives now. It's only as we grasp the reality of eternity that life here even makes sense. And C.S. Lewis said this, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world, in other words, those who worked the hardest, who spent themselves, the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, to think of heaven, to think of rest, that they've become so ineffective in this. So tired, so worn out, so overwhelmed. I can't serve. I don't have time. I don't have the energy for that. The apostles themselves who set foot, set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. You see, there's a holy power that sustains and empowers his people to do much in this life if we believe him. It's supernatural. It's the, it's the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And you sense an urgency in that, in verse 7, in fact, it comes through the urgency we see in the word today. Today, if you will hear, your, hear his voice. Today, if you will hear his voice and believe and live this out, act upon it. Find the rest that he's offering. Or are you, in the words of C.S. Lewis, ineffective? as a Christian because you're spending so much time striving and working in your own strength rather than resting in what Christ has done for you and promised to you. See, when we realize that it's not about this life but the next, our, our, our priorities change. And then you can make the decision to, to live out the principle of the Sabbath, one in seven, to make the necessary changes, to be disciplined in this life and so receive the rest that God has for us. This life no longer becomes about my influence or my achievements or my wealth. I can stop striving for, for, for the nothing that this world offers simply by believing what Jesus has said. And that leads us to this final discipline, the discipline of waiting on. I've been uh, greatly impacted by the book, um, Spiritual Leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, and, and have taught that book multiple times to groups of leaders in our church. And uh, Sanders uh, wrote this, even Jesus grew weary in ministry and had to rest. Jesus felt depleted in power, inner resources tapped when the needy woman touched his clothing. 
And no lasting good can be accomplished without this expenditure of nervous energy and personal power. Fatigue, he says, is the price of leadership. His book is on leadership, but we can just say that fatigue is the price of serving Christ. And mediocrity is the result of never getting tired. And so even as we talk about rest all along the way here, we're not talking about completely avoiding ever being tired. We're talking about how do I find rest when I, when I am tired? And I know that you think that it would be better if I preached a message, and maybe some of you were anticipating this. Todd, why don't you just preach a message on seven strategies to, to make my life slow down a bit? Well, it's not exactly the way we go about things here. In any ways, it wouldn't be all that productive. Fatigue can be a sign that you're actually doing something pretty important for the kingdom. Again, it's not the issue of not being tired. It's will I find rest at the end of that? Parents, especially parents of young children, we have many in our church, and there's lots of kids in the north end of the building right now, and there's lots of parents who are sitting here and are so happy that their kids are at the north end of the building. <laughs> Somebody's going to watch my kids. I'm totally going to church. That's awesome, right? As I know how parents think. I know why you're here. <laughs> See, the thing about parenting is you just go, like, I have so many parents come to me and say, we're just so tired. We're just so tired. We're just so tired. You're supposed to be. You're doing like the most important thing you can do on this planet, to bear a child and raise him. That's exhausting work. Cheryl and I raised our three kids. They're all married now. And, and, and you know, we, we think back to those years of, of, of infancy and, and when they were toddlers and just that whole thing. And listen, we look back on that and honestly, all of those years are just like a fog. Like, if there isn't a picture of it, we don't remember it. There's, like, there's nothing about those years that we recall. It's just, it, you're spent. You're, there's the, the diaper pails overflowing, and the dishes are all over the counter, and the place hasn't been vacuumed in a month, and, and, and there's nobody has clean clothes. And I mean, that's just, and you're just spent. You haven't got another moment for anything. And listen, if that's your experience as a young parent, listen to me. That's normal. That's the way it's supposed to be. And rest is coming. And don't think that it's coming when your kids are teenagers, because that's a lie. <laughs> and then you think once they become, you know, you're helping them, be, you know, become adults. So they're adulting now, you know, they're, they're becoming adults. And you don't think that that's where the rest comes. Getting your kids into the adult years is just as exhausting, just in a different way. You got to find those moments for rest, to break out of it, to find peace. And you need to look to eternity for the end of it all. You need to embrace the fatigue as a badge of honor and be grateful that God's allowing you to go through it. Then I'm not saying be stupid about it. I'm not saying you shouldn't find strategies to make your life make more sense. You can Google that. By all means, adjust and adapt. But just expect you're going to be tired. Employees, you know, I hear, I hear employees just saying, no matter what kind of company they work for, just, I'm just so tired at the end of the day. I'm so tired at the end of the week. You're supposed to be. 
If you worked hard for your boss, you should be tired. Stop whining. You should work hard for your employer. And listen, it doesn't even matter. The, the people who are on their feet all day complain that they're so tired because they're on their feet all day and I wish I could just sit. And the people that sit at a desk all day are like, I wish I could get up on my feet for part of the day and not be sitting at my desk. And everybody's tired at the end of a day of work and that's a good thing. Spend yourself for your employer and be tired at the end of the day. God blesses that. It means you worked hard and you did your best. And that's a good thing. Uh, Sanders also said this, the world is run by tired men. We could just say people. The, tire, the world is run by tired people. Perhaps an overstatement, but there is a grain of reality here. The demands of leadership, and again, let's just put life there. The demands of life wear down the most robust person. But Christians know where to find renewal. That's the difference. God gave us the secret to this. Sabbath, it's rest, it's one in seven, changing it up. And Sanders added to his quote, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, therefore do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. And yes, we are. Some of you feel that here this morning. I feel like I'm wasting away. Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. The concept of rest taking greater root in our souls the longer we work with him walk with him. And while we may feel and, and want the rest now, at best what we enjoy are temporal lulls or a brief respite from the pressures and demands of life, a break from our striving. And that's exactly the point, verses 8 through 10, the last few verses here. When it refers to Joshua, of course, he was leading the people of Israel into the promised land. That was to be their place of rest. But of course, they never accomplished it. They didn't take enough land. And even if they did, there was still going to be more. It wasn't about just getting that one thing settled. There was so much more coming, a real rest. And we all know this. Verse 9 says, God is holding out his best for last. Verse 9, we see that there remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. There's more coming. And we need to practice the discipline of waiting on that. And the fact is that even when we do get a rest, a day off, a good night's sleep, a week or two of vacation, even when we reach retirement, it still isn't completely restful. We'll still strive. We still come back from a week in the sun and the bills have piled up in the mailbox and the grass needs cutting and dust has accumulated around the house and your inbox is choked with even more email that needs attending to. Any rest we get here is merely a temporary fix, a kind gift from God that doesn't last because we live in a terribly broken world. So we should never build up unrealistic expectations over any of this and never believe that we're owed anything in this life. According to his grace, God is offering us a real rest for all eternity and will we take him up on his offer? and then live like we've taken him up on his offer. Quit striving to make this place something it can never be. Practice the discipline of waiting on him for his best. The rest of God will come to anyone who practices these disciplines. Let's pray.
Our God and Father, we've uh, heard from you today, and I, I pray that it would go beyond mere hearing to listening and believing, conforming our will to yours and doing the word of God. I pray for those in the room who already know that they need to make some decisions around a one in seven Sabbath rest. That Father, their soul desperately needs that. And I pray that you would give them faith to believe you and courage to enact what they now believe. And Father, that you would continue the transforming work in each of our lives. Hear our worship now, Father, as we sing to you the greatness of who you are. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.